everybody, welcome to the Five Hustle Podcast. We're talking about being an entrepreneur and multiple ways to make money for your family. I'm your host, Priest Gordon. I'm a retired engineer and full-time day trader. I started a company called Linwood Holdings, where we buy real estate in Texas and in Colorado. Today's guest is one of my good friends, Wes Parcell. We've been hanging out for years, and I'm just really excited to dig into his business today. How you doing, bro? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good deal, good deal. What's happened? Have you here, man? We've been talking online and hanging out for the longest, man. So good to have you on the show. I know, especially after this past year where we didn't get to see each other in person very much. Yeah, so. yeah you had the baby and everything else as well, too. Ah. So crazy stuff. But tell everybody about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from a small town in Ohio. I, uh, I went to Bowling Green. I have a, a bachelor's degree in visual communications focused on marketing and entrepreneurship. I went back to BG for my master's degree, which I got in uh, learning design. Since then, I've launched a couple startups um, in the digital marketing and e-commerce space. I'm uh, currently running, it's called Everything Apparel. It's a custom screen printing and embroidery company. And uh, I've been trading and in real estate for over a decade now. Um, also, uh, my wife and I manage our, our properties ourselves. And we have uh, a young son and, and two dogs. Yes, yes, yes. So a lot of people know me and Wes been, I mean, trading buddies for years and years. We met a long time ago through a scumbag named Timothy Sykes. So I have to give him credit for getting me back into trading, but that's about it. I mean, I had uh, traded Forex years ago, that kind of stuff. And then um, Saul was doing stuff on YouTube, and I saw a Tim Sykes ad. Bought the little $300 course. Like, this is great. And I was doing the, what was that called? Silver at the time? Like, 175 a month. It was a so, lot. Yeah. So I was paying 175 a month for his chat room. And then guess what? He was in his chat room. He was. <laughs> so that's how we met. And then all the guys in there back and forth. But we couldn't. It was real restricted. They wouldn't let us send certain kind of messages. We couldn't say certain things. So we ended up getting banned and kicked and all kind of stuff. So we ended up leaving there. And we went through a couple of different chat rooms until we realized we should just be in free places and just learn how to trail on our own. So we did that for years, having fun. And then I learned that he owned properties. And I was like, okay. So uh, anxious today to talk about that kind of stuff and go on from there. So tell everybody about your portfolio and how you guys started doing that. Yeah, so uh, what originally got me into real estate, um, at a young age, my um, we had these next-door neighbors who uh, they were kind of like second grandparents for us. <laughs> And they owned a bunch of properties, and uh, I just thought it was so interesting because everyone around me, you know, my my parents, friends, and and everyone I knew of, they just had their house. You know, they had their yard, they took care of it, they mowed. And our next door neighbors had all of these properties, and people were paying them to live in there. Yeah. Um, so that was that was interesting to me. Um, my dad didn't talk about it much growing up, but he had a property that he lived in at one point, mm -hmm. and then started renting out when he got married. But um, Really kickstarted for me in my late teens. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, which mm -hmm. is a great, great you know, uh, mm -hmm. ignition source yeah. for um, <laughs> you know for anyone interested in real estate. And then um, in college, you know, I just started. I started researching what houses would sell for, mm -hmm. what they would rent for. I was a college kid. I was paying rent. You know, there were like these four businesses that owned all of the properties <laughs> in a, in our college town. And basically, these four families just collected thousands and thousands every month. Wow. Um, so shortly after I finished college was the, the 2008 crisis, mm -hmm. the, the mortgage crisis, the housing collapse, all that. And um, I saw, you know, the prices dropping. And, and my girlfriend at the time, wife now, 
we were like, hey, we, we know the numbers on this. We know the rent. We know the market. Uh, we can make this work. So we, we picked up our first property in, in 2010. Oh, wow. Nice, yep. nice, nice. I remember you told me you invest in Ohio. And I was like, why the heck in Ohio? But then I understand now. But then, um, so the whole thing about the whole college housing is real unique. So what are some of the nuances compared to regular renting versus the college housing you got to look out for? That's a great question. So being in a college market, you have full-time residents, and then you've got the college kids. You know, And, and a lot of towns like uh, Bowling Green, um, the city almost doubles during the college year. Mm-hmm. So the pros are you have a lot of, um, you know, you've limited inventory and a lot of demand which is great. It creates kind of a stable market. Um, some of the downsides are trying to operate on the colleges, you know, the semesters and when the move-ins are. And, and you know, if, if your lease ends in August and your next lease starts in August, all of the cleaners are taken, all of the yeah. handymen are taken. Everyone's doing everything for thousands of houses within a two-week period. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that's a little bit of a struggle um, you know, you've got people who want to move in early who, you know, you haven't been in the house for a little while. You're not you know, sure of, of what all needs done in there. Yeah. So they're just those kinds of things operating on a timeline that's kind of out of your control. Um, fortunately we haven't had anyone trash our properties, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I do have a buddy who, who owns in Ohio as well. And, um, uh, I mean, he had over five figures in, in damages to one wow. of his properties. So, wow. you know, you kind of, you do your best to filter out um, on the tenants, and and that's a consideration too because house parties, you yeah. know, it happens. Yeah. You know, there's vandalism. It just it, it's part of it. So there's there's a lot of considerations. Um, you try to find the best tenants you can. You have some handyman that you can call, and and you kind of roll with it. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you price your units? Are you comparing it with the dorm prices, or are you looking at the regular rental market? Um, the college market is it's kind of in a fixed range. So it's kind of like a per bedroom situation of a three bedroom house. They generally rent from anywhere from like 250 to 400 a bedroom, you know, and a four bedroom, 250 to yeah. 400 a bedroom. So you kind of price based on that. If you have a garage and a yard or you allow pets or you have a washer and dryer, you can, you can add a little bit of a premium there. But um, even since I went to school 15 years ago, it's still kind of within that range. So um, yeah, it's, it's a stable rental market, but, um, you know, the appreciation isn't there like it is in Denver. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's what I'm thinking about too, is that, so what are you looking at compared to the, cause you do an Airbnb here in town. How do you compare that to doing your college rentals? Cause college, are you saying you have the, they're there all year, but then sometimes they leave in the summer, they come back to keep at least the whole time. What are they doing versus your Airbnb short term? Yeah. So Part of the stability is a lot of college students have student loans or parents who help pay for their rent. Um, so usually they sign a 12-month lease. They're good for it for 12 months. The Airbnb out here, um, I watched one of your other podcasts. She, she was airbnb and she's totally right. If you're on the lookout for concerts and holiday weekends and, and just um, events, we're near the convention center, so we're always looking out for that. So we're kind of watching the fluctuations in price and, and the units around us on Airbnb. They kind of have their own uh, insights and dashboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we allow pets, so that's a little bit of an upside, you know, little things like that. But it's it's really just constantly watching and, and trying to stay on top of what's 
you know, what's going to happen and what big events are, you know, coming up. So you guys bought your Airbnb unit or are you leasing it and leasing it out? So we bought our house in 2014, completely updated and renovated it. And then we built a guest suite oh, bro, there, yeah. on, on the back. So uh, it was kind of between the ADU and the guest suite. Mm-hmm. And um, our zoning limited the size of our ADU. So um, you could basically build a three-story addition if it was attached. The ADU was capped at like 200 square feet or wow. something like that. It was based on the property size. So that kind of made that decision for us. But um, we still exit the back of our house. You know, you've got eight, eight inches of brick, and then you have, like, this uh, shared mudroom, and then yeah. um, that's it. That's all we share is just the back wall of the house. So they have a private entrance. We have, you know, private entrance. It's it's as separated as – it's. think of it like a townhome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So think about this. I know you told me recently you guys bought some big multifamily. So yeah. how did you get into that one? So – First, in, how many units is it on? It's, it's 12 units. Um, it was kind of a, a rare find in the area that um, our houses are in Bowling Green, Ohio. It's kind of a rare find. It's pretty rare to find a duplex, let alone a triplex or fourplex. But to have a 12-unit apartment building um, on the market, we, we really got lucky. It was 2020, so it sat for a while. So we, we got it for an amazing price. Um, it was just one of those we'd been watching for literally 10 years for, for something more than four units. And, yeah. and it just hit the market. A um, couple brothers were running it for the last 15 years. Their dad owns a whole bunch of, of real estate. And, I, you know, they're getting close to retirement age. Yeah. They want to play some more golf. And, and we were, you know, we were the lucky benefactors. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So how do you manage those properties? Are you have a property management team there or you got friends and family? How's it going? So I'm a big fan of doing the stuff yourself at mm-hmm. first, learning the ins and outs of it, the intricacies. Inter- yeah. I'm going to skip that word. Uh, I'm a big fan of learning it yourself, <laughs> right. figuring out what it's like to, you know, have the AC go out or have a toilet clogged and, and you know, do the tenants leave the place in good shape all of that. So we managed our first house by ourselves for several years, and then we hired a property manager for a couple of years, and we've taken that back. So for this apartment building, I, I flew back to Ohio for, I want to say, seven times in the first four months. Mm-hmm. So I was there. I was meeting the tenants. I was going through their leases, figuring out how long they've been there. We have a guy that um, he shovels and he mows. Wow. You know, you, you have these these different factors that you don't have with a single family home because we get a tenant for a year and they're gone and then they move out of Bowling Green and graduate. Mm-hmm. Some of these people have been, you know, in that building for six, seven years. So um, currently I'm managing it. It's It's been fun. It's been interesting. I like getting to know the people. And um, luckily we haven't had any, well, only one disaster so far. So those aren't college students in that particular building. Those are just normal, your normal tenants. Yep. Not a not a single college student. They are all um, in Bowling Green. They call them townies. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, a mix of young adults and and you know some single uh, individuals that just need a one bedroom place. Nice, nice. Yeah, one bedroom so it's pretty cool. I was looking at some stuff as well with that down in Houston. You know, because thinking about the whole rental market and the whole college housing and most most time college kids love their one bedroom. They can get on their own. So looking at the kind of numbers and kind of going from there. So outside of Bowling Green, where else would you want to invest at? 
That's a good question. My my wife and I, we manage our, our all of our properties. Um, she's she's the face of our Airbnb. She's a super host. Um, we both handle the unit, deal with you know the people coming and going and, and the cleanings and stuff. But um, we have been doing market research in a number of cities and a number of states, and we just we haven't landed on anything yet. Um, it, ideally, it would be a multi-unit in a market that was stable like Bowling Green, um, maybe a different college town in Ohio or maybe a different college town in a different state. Mm -hmm. Or I would say the total opposite, something that we could travel to and utilize like if it was on a beach in Florida, you know, something along those lines I I think we would be open to. Um, But with new markets come, you know, new contractors, new um, demographic you're going to use a property manager, you know, you have to vet them, make sure they're going to take care of your property and stuff. So it, there's a lot that goes into expanding, expanding new markets. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now with 2020 happening and COVID and everything else, how did you guys deal with the, uh, the tenants and the college kids? Did they stay? Did they go home? How did it work out? Well, they were, I want to say they were on spring break at the time and they basically got a notice that said, don't, come back if you don't want to, you know, you could stay home, you could stay in Florida, (laughs) Panama City Beach. Um, You could come back and live in your your apartment or your dorm, but we're not doing in-person stuff. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really affect us. People were in leases. This was March, April. They were in leases until August generally. And, um, you know, we had two of our tenants just resign. They didn't want to go look at new houses. They didn't want to deal with any of that. Mm -hmm. So, they just extended their leases, and it was kind of business as usual for us, yeah. um, fortunately. I think that's the benefit of doing a college housing. Why I'm interested in because you sit back, they get their student loan at the beginning of the semester, and they say, okay, well, this is how much my housing is for the whole semester. Just bam, drop it on her. Or mom and dad pays the whole thing. Parents, yeah. So if they're paying the whole year up front or they're paying the semester at a time, it kind of makes it easy where they're not going month to month. So as you, as the owner of the property, like, hey, well, I got six months paid for already with this kid. He's not going anywhere. Even if he does, I'm still okay. Yep. That kind of thing going on from there. For sure. And, and you know, we have tenants that are, are open, like, hey, my dad's going to Venmo, Venmo you my rent. Yeah. You know, and, and other students maybe pretend they pay for it. But, you know, it's it's been really steady. I Aside, until we bought the apartment building and we had a non-student tenant, We'd never had anyone miss rent yeah. in, in 11 years now. So yeah. um, that speaks a lot to the, the college and, and their, their ability to borrow money or, oh, yes. or access oh, that's, money, that's um, wild. which is a whole other conversation. That, that is so wild. We talk about that too, the 100000 student loan versus you can't get ten grand for a business loan. Like, what's going on? <laughs> you know? But I think about that is that if you can sit back, my cousin can ready to go to college now, and he's like, he says, man, this is nuts. He says, you can sit back and have houses, and they're going to always be full. Because it seems like every university has a shortage. All of them do. And I don't, I don't think any of them really have everything. I mean, I've been going to school. I went to school back in 96. And I remember back then, the dorms were packed. And you had to put your request in early advance, and you got to school, and like, oh, I don't have a room. So people are going crazy behind it. I spent one semester in a hotel slash studio right next to the campus because – they didn't validate my my deposit. I got there and I said, well, you, you paid your deposit, but we don't have enough rooms. And I was like, well, now what do I do? Well, we can give you a refund. So I still got to go to class on Monday, and that kind of thing. So I'm looking at the whole college housing as well because in the end you have, especially you think about this, 
he builds you a 100-unit complex, it's only 100 kids. It's not like you're doing 1,000 units. That's just 100 kids who need a room. And if you do it for the right price, I'm looking at kind of comparing it with the dorm price or that kind of thing and making it where it's nice and giving them the Wi-Fi and everything else as well, but kind of a cool setup. Yeah, dorms are, are really interesting. That that business model, I, I know that our campus, you know, Bowling Green has, you know, sort of privatized some of it. They've, um, I don't know if you'd call it subleasing or, or contracted some of it out, but they make a lot of money. I yep. mean, I remember as a as a freshman sophomore doing doing some math, and you know you don't pay for water or electric, but you're paying in the seven eight hundred dollar a month range, and you have a roommate in there. It's a small mm-hmm. room, you yeah. know. And then you go off and you buy your meals. You go off. It wasn't like it had a kitchen. So um, interesting packing a lot of people into <laughs> yeah. into a building. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you the numbers when I, when I was at Prairie View and it first built. University of College, the, the university, what they call the um, the apartment complexes, and they had thirty buildings, and then it was uh, eighteen units per building, and we all paid seven hundred per room. It's four rooms in each one. They made one point five million a month. That whole the thirty buildings, they said it paid itself off within like one year, and you like, and that was twenty years ago. Yeah. They're still sitting there, fully. I'm like. One point five a month, and this was at the seven hundred dollars a month. They've raised the prices since then. They are winning is not the word <laughs> when you think yeah. about that. So you want to get in that kind of game to where you get some land outside of campus somewhere where kids can still walk. And all some of the people were doing, they were building complexes and then also renting like a van. Well, not renting, but buying like a little, like a little Shuttle. small bus, and then shuttling the kids. And so that way you can buy off campus, and you're like, well, I don't have transportation. Well, the shuttle. Once an hour, it's rotating around. And then the school got wind of that, and the school contracted the same company to just keep the shuttle going all the way around the campus. So now you gotta you can jump off the engineering building and catch one to the business hall and make it easy. So it's kind of some cool stuff when you think about that. We had a couple of those go up, and, you know, they were on the outskirts of town, um, but, you know, they'd throw in a pool, and that place was booked. Yeah. You know, it was like yeah. a, a, a van and, and, you know, same price, maybe more, but, you know, that one had a pool, that one had, you know, you yeah. could have five roommates. This other one, you know, they all had little differences, but made a lot of money. I guarantee I'm putting a pool in mine. <laughs> I, I mean, like, that is going to be the selling point. The pool or the basketball court, guaranteed. In, in, in Texas, oh, yeah, that pool is going to be the moneymaker you know, on top of all the things. It's a liability. <laughs> <laughs> there so you go. Th- tell me about the, um, what's the hardest stuff you dealt with with that situation as far as the college kids and stuff? Um... I would say, aside from uh, the cyclical part of, of coordinating leases and things like that, um, <clears throat> vetting a good student, you know, um, I've found that the college students especially don't reach out when there's maintenance. You know, like if, if the washer broke, it affects them, so they call you. But, you know, your sink could drift the entire year, oh, and, yeah. and they don't tell you until they've moved out. Um so we, we've done our best to do some preventative stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you maybe drop in every three to six months yeah. and, and maybe change the furnace filter and kind of do a peek around. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we haven't dealt with too much in, in regard to damage, but, um, you know, they might not mow or shovel, and our city finds them for that. So sometimes that keeps them on top of it. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd say just general maintenance. 
you show up and there's, you know, they hung a bunch of stuff on the wall or they glued something or taped something to the wall and peeled it off. Just stuff you have to find on your own after they move out. Um, But So how are you guys funding all of your deals? Yeah, so all of our houses have just normal bank loans. Um, The first one we bought was 2010, and we didn't um, have our own house yet. So we just, you know... We're like, maybe we'll live in it, maybe we won't. So you didn't have to put down the full 20%. But once we had a primary home, uh, each investment property after that, you need the 20% down. Um, you pay for closing costs and all that. And, um, yeah, anything. So we use um, – it's one of the larger mortgage companies in the country. Um, I won't name them because they're not sponsoring this. <laughs> but um, – they will fi- finance up to four units. Okay. So you could do uh, up to four. And then for our apartment, we had a, a private investor for that. Um, someone we had come across years ago, we reached out. We're like, hey, there's this opportunity. And they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll finance that. Mm-hmm. Um, so aside from that, just normal, normal mortgages. Nice. Now, what's the price difference between, like you said, Colorado versus a single family home there? Oh, wow. Big, big, big difference. Um, I think our median out here in Denver just hit 600000 700000 um, Bowling Green could get a three-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot house for the 150000 Nice. Um, but, you know, we're number crunchers, my, my wife and I, when we're doing our research. And, you know, the rent is comparable. So let's say if you're making or you're bringing in – 1200 bucks a month off of 150k investment in Ohio maybe uh you know three times that here you're only getting three times the rent so mm-hmm. even though they're smaller numbers the the return is still comparable we found that when we researched Ohio State and Michigan you know it might be a 6 or 700,000 dollar house in Ohio State but maybe it's only bringing in 6,000 a month in rent yeah. so you know that's six houses in Bowling Green or, wow. or you know whatever close to that mm-hmm. Um, so we found the, the return to be comparable or better to other markets. They're just less expensive houses. Yeah, yeah. so you can kind of acquire more if you need to, kind of go from there. So which one do you prefer? Do you prefer the real estate or you prefer the day trading? Oh, that's tough. So I think my mindset is that real estate is is a long-term lifetime situation. And with finance – we have pockets or buckets of money in long-term stocks and funds. And we have, you know, I think we have some annuities and just everything. We've diversified our money. <clears throat> so that leaves trading as kind of a sliver of, of our overall thing. Um, but it's it's stressful and, and there's a lot of um, considerations. You know, the market is irrational. Right. That's, you know, that's a fact. Um, and then you've got the psychological piece. Like you can you can multitask while working on a lease or coordinating or showing houses, but you can't really multitask when you're day trading. Mm-hmm. Swing trading a little bit. Um, you know, you have a hypothesis, you check in on it. But it's another thing if if you get distracted or you go on vacation and you look back and and maybe you missed. That's yes, right. <laughs> missed it. So um, 
Yeah, I think just because of my mindset, the day trading is the high risk, high reward, and real estate is kind of a, a lifetime thing. Yeah. You know, maybe my my son will inherit our real estate, whereas the day trading, you know, if if he's not into it, right. I, I'm not going to push it. <laughs> yeah, yes. I tell people all the time, I say, oh, I want to learn how to trade. I say, man, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> because it is, especially when you get good and you really know how to trade, then it's all mental then. Oh, man, because you sit back and, like, it's a me you talk all the time and sit back, you'll miss a trade and, like, oh, my God. Or let's say uh, we get a cross and it's dropping, but then it pops back up, hits our stop. So you're out. And then it continues and drops 20 points, and you're like, I was right. I was on the money. That little five-point jumped in and knocked me out. Then I'll send it drop for 20 points and go from there. So crazy. And then also trading view added trailing stops the other day. Interesting. Yes. And so I was like, oh, that's nice. So looking at that kind of stuff. So trading is fun for me. Is It is what I'm going to do in my retirement. So right now, I mean, I'm trying to build up my rental portfolio and have all that stuff going and get some more units and have fun with that and let that passive income go. And then when I get to a stage in life where I don't really worry about money, and then I can just trade and have fun. And that's the main thing. When you sit back and you sit back, I'm making two, three points a day. I just, you know what? I got a cross on the 15. I'm just going to hit sell put a five-point stop and just let it ride all day and, and just have some fun with it and go from there. But I found that trading, the allure of making $100,000 in two weeks is really there because if you know what you're doing, you know you can do it. But it's actually doing that, and that's that's very, very hard to do. Yeah, and and you, you made a good point. I think that um, with trading, it's better to do in a, a relaxed, non-urgent mindset. Um, if you feel like you need to make money to pay for something or you feel like you missed a trade and you want to get that back, you mess up and you lose money. Exactly. Um, you know, So when you have other things going on, you have real estate, you have uh, apparel, you, know, you have stuff, and you see a trade setting up, you can jump into it stress-free, make money comfortably, you know, follow your system, get in, get out. But, um, you know, when, you, when you're sitting there staring at the tickers, staring at your screen, trying to force something, mm-hmm. it can it can get ugly. Yeah, really quick, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> We've both been there. <laughs> you sit back and we'll go up one day, make $1,000 a day, like, oh, this is great, and then take one trade. <laughs> One trade after that, and like, oh, my God, I just lost 500 bucks that fast. Like, why? Because you were trying to cover the comms that day. Like, you know what? My commission is going to be 85 bucks. I'm going to make one more trade, cover 85, I'm good. And that one extra trade just knocks your block off. Absolutely. And and that's another thing. You, you back to the mindset, you make 1000 bucks, and you're like, well, I'm already up 1000 I can let this ride. And you yeah. start to, to push your limit. You start yeah. to get loose with your – your setup or, or, you know, whatever. And that thousand can be gone really quick. And then some, um, I've seen a lot of people, especially recently make a whole lot of money Mm -hmm. without the fundamentals, without, you know, any idea of really what they're doing. And that's dangerous because, you know, they could cash that out. Maybe someone made $300,000 on GameStop. Those taxes are due next year. But if you then went and rolled that into something else and you lose it, you could have a pretty ugly situation. That's right. So That's right. There's there's a lot. Um, you know, I my recommendation is start small, mm-hmm. learn the fundamentals, don't trade with a lot because you know just bigger numbers mean bigger risk. That's right. That's right.
And I, I tell people all the time now, if I knew better, I would have done mm-hmm. real estate first and then learn trading. Well, I mean, now I'm glad that I have the skill set because if I really need to, I can get in there and make money when I need to. But like you said, it's that mindset of, well, I have to make this today. That's when that pressure comes. And as a trader, you really don't want that because then you start reaching. You sit back and you start seeing setups that really aren't there, and you're looking at the three-minute chart, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's right. No, no, it's not. It's not there. It's not there. That, that's where the five hustles come in, right? Yeah, like, you, right. you want that to be diversified. And, and, you know, that's another thing with real estate. You comb through properties, you crunch numbers, and you can't always find something that works. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can't force – a property go for sale. You can't force someone to sign a lease. It's it really is a slow game, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it's nicely balanced with trading because you know you get a little bit of action, you get a little bit of long term stability. Um, I think they go nice hand in hand. Yeah, I like the way that Carter did it with his. He sat back and it was flipping houses and just dropped third of grand on trading account. It's like okay, that's how you really do it. So now he can make two points. And make $3,000 and be happy as can be. And I think the issue with trading is that when people start off trading small, they'll make $40 a day. And like, that's just 40 bucks. You spend that going to Olive Garden. You know what I mean? Whereas you make $1,000, $2,000, that feels like money to you. So when you make, even though you've made five points because you're trading small, you're going to make $40, $50. Your mindset tells you this isn't enough and you keep going. And your continued exposure is what knocks your block off compared to people who have much larger accounts, they can trade and take three points, but because they're trading 10 contracts, that gives them a substantial amount on that win. Like, oh, yeah, that's good. I made $2,000 a day. And they feel they feel fine with that. So it's just the whole mental mindset of trading. It is, I tell people, if you're not mentally strong, be careful about opening up that can of worms. For sure. And, you know, if you don't have a job or you're trying to quit your day job, that's another factor. You start forcing in... I, I need to make 50 grand this year. So then you start dividing it by the number of trading days. And then you're like, if I make, you know, 250 a day, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, um, you know, that's, that's not how trading works. Like I said, markets are irrational. Um, You can't just force, force that day in and day out. Like, sure. Some days you can, some days you'll make a couple thousand dollars, but uh, you you just can't, can't force it. Yeah, you can't. Yes. And that's the crazy part when you do the math. You sit back and say, okay, I'm going to do three points a day. I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. Then work out that way because Monday you may win. Tuesday, man, Wednesday you're going to lose. And now so Thursday you're aggravated. So Thursday you come back in. Instead of taking your two points, you're going for seven. You may get seven. Friday, because you hit big on Thursday, you're just too loosey-goosey. And what happens? Friday you lose the whole week worth right there. Then you spend the whole weekend salty because you know what you just did to yourself. So that trading stuff is mental mindset. But I will tell people all the time, if you, um, especially as you get older and you have yourself financially secure with everything else you're doing, if you want to learn that skill set, it can be very beneficial. You sit back and say, you know, make an extra four or $500 a month. That can add up to somebody, especially if they understand what they're doing. Yeah. I, I tell everyone, I'm like, to start, hey, you have a 401k. What's in it? What mm-hmm. stocks are in it? Mm-hmm. Why are they rebalancing it when they do? You know, like start to learn the the bare minimum, you know, is it a is it a age target? Is it a allocation? You know, um, start to start to figure out where your money is, you know, see what they're doing. Is it something you can do? Are there, 
you know, little things you can pick up. It's, you know, it's open. There's that information's out there. Yep. Publicly traded companies post when they're buying, when their CEO sold, yep. all of that. You can you can access it. So I, I say take that, you know, take that and learn and and be you know, be in charge of of your finances. Right, you know, don't right. just passively shove that into some you know some account and let someone else deal with it. It works. I mean, it's so many people. So one of my good buddies, well, you know, you know, Don. Don is um, a finance advisor, and he talks about how he's taking over underperforming 401ks of people. And he said, this lady's had the account for 10 years with somebody and hasn't made any money. He's like, what are you doing? You just put your money in there and never check it. And he said, you have a garbage FA behind you who's not doing anything. So he said he's found so many people who have underperforming accounts and have no clue about it. They're just like, well, I've been with this guy for 20 years. I'm supposed to have my money. And he said, but you... You started off with fifty thousand. You got sixty four, and that's been twenty years. Like, what's going on? Yeah, you know I mean, so and the fees. You know, yeah. people people are shocked. You know, they're like, oh, it's only half half percent or one percent. Well, <laughs> rule of seventy two. That you know, and you can mm-hmm. figure out one percent of your money over seventy two years is double. So right. you know, start to work backwards and figure out how much money you're missing out on just mm-hmm. paying someone, uh, and also. Um, you know, if it's an actively traded account, you might be getting hit with, um, you know, taxes, mm-hmm. unnecessary taxes. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of reasons you should figure out what's in, yeah. you know, what your money's going into. Yeah. I would, I would say never blindly trust when it comes to your money, because there's actually so many ways to earn revenue these days and earn extra income. Though. You shouldn't just blindly just put it in here and just set it. It's not a set it and forget it type of situation, no matter what's going on. People said, I remember when I first started monitoring my 401k back in the days, and you're checking and you see the value go up and go down. I'm like, what is going on? Then I dug into, I was with Vanguard and dug into what they actually um, had. Well, I was in. I was like, okay, this is why they balanced everything out. This is what's dropping. This is what's going on. And enable started, started looking at that with my regular trading. So, okay, I'm going to make some money today. And sure enough, SP goes up. I look at my portfolio. So it's you're able to see that and kind of go from there, you know what I mean? So it's I think that the investing market is definitely different. And in this day and age, I really want to encourage people to just think about how to make their money work for them in so many different ways, whether that's real estate, whether it's day trading, uh, sitting back understanding how to use your ship on demand with your shirts and everything else, which is fun. I love that. Yeah. My sales are going nice. I enjoy it. But, yeah, man, it's uh, just having these different hustles out here, being able to use your money and make it grow is the kind of fun stuff in there. Yeah. So if you think about, say, if you went back 10 years, what piece of advice would you give yourself that you know now? Oh, man, 10 years. Well, I would <clears throat> advise myself to buy a lot of Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, that was one of those things that I told everyone. I think you did the same thing. Yep. I told everyone, this is going to change the world. Yep. You know, got to think long term, blah, blah, blah. And I just, yep. I didn't buy enough. You know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't. So that, yeah. um and I think that's a skill, you know, it's something you learn to, to look 10 years into the future, 20, 30 years, because you're young and, you know, there's a lot of uh, quick money to be made, but there's also way more long-term to be made. Um, and then I also, I tell myself that, that you can do the things that you want to do. Uh, you don't need to sit around and think about it for, so, for, yeah. for too long. You know, take a step. Um, when you're first starting out, that first step is, is it seems like it's the hardest, but it, there's the least amount of risk in taking yeah. that first step. You know, you want to start selling t-shirts, 
design a t-shirt you know if no one buys it try a different design reach out to a designer you know you can do these things um you don't need to to have everything figured out um and like i said with the real estate you know do the things yourselves as much as you can learn what goes into it how you could be better and then as you go you could start to outsource and scale and bring in professionals and and you know it snowballs from there but yeah that's good stuff all right, well, this has been a great show, bro. I, mean, I yeah. love talking about, you know, how much stuff we do. And, I mean, most of the stuff I do mirrors a lot of things that you do. We talked about the whole, all our shirts. And the, when you first started doing your show, I was like, oh, man, that's on, that's nice. You know what I mean? You tell them about that. So it was uh, some fun stuff you're doing. And then I didn't know as far as how big you guys were. You told me on some properties out there. But then you said, yeah, we bought a building. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So then it's fun stuff. I remember you were going through all the permitting issues with the ADU and go to the house and dealing with all that, then dig in and everything else in the neighbor's fence and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's another thing when you're doing it yourself, you know, you hire a contractor, it's just like the financial advisor. You trust them to do everything properly, but you should be there knowing what they're doing, what they're getting into, um, you know, what the material costs are, what the labor costs are. Like just try to understand it all because mm-hmm it saves you in the long run. You know, you learn something at the end of the day, which is beneficial and it prevents you from maybe, you know, getting scammed or, or having a bad experience with it. So it's nice. Good deal, man. Well, how can everybody get in contact with you? Yeah. Uh, I have a, a website, um, wesleyparcel.com that has a contact form on there, or you could reach out on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, any of that, you know, I have Wesley parcels, my handle for everything. Nice, nice, nice. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right, everybody. Well, this is the Five Fools of Podcast. I thank you so much for watching. If you like what you saw today, do three things for me. I want you to like, follow, and then share. My name is Priest Gordon. You can find my Instagram at priest.gordon and also YouTube.com as Priest Gordon. Thanks so much. Go hustle.